Hello and welcome back to the FEZ show. My name is Jack George Maynard and we have tons of news to talk about in the world of Formula E as we get closer to the start of the season with November now. Well, we will be in November next uh, in a couple of days time, which we'll see pre-season testing. And there's been so much news, so much news with drivers. So with me today to discuss all the latest news is Open Talent Cool Top 15 finalist. Edward Hunter. Hey, that feels pretty surreal to hear. Never thought that would happen a couple of years ago. But yeah, I mean, I got such a nice response from the video. So uh, yeah, it's great to be here and talk to you about Formula E again, Jack. I just, I just, in that intro, I just fathomed me that we are now coming up to November. And obviously pre-season testing obviously takes place at the end of November going into December. But I just can't believe how quickly time is passing. Like... It felt like yesterday that we finished the season in Berlin, and so obviously so much has happened since then. But to actually think that Formula E is around the corner again, um, it's quite a nice feeling. I remember editing those early shows after Berlin, you moaning about how long it would be till the season would start again. But yeah, so funny to hear you say that now that it's gone so quickly. But uh, but yeah, it, it hasn't. I guess because we've all been so busy preparing for that new season and. We've got new teams being launched. I mean, Mercedes were launched the other day as well, and all sorts of things happening, which I'm sure we're going to get into. I'm sure this month will drag, um, so because we know Formula E's coming, so it's like, oh, when is the 29th of November? Um, when we get our first bit of track testing that we can all sort of see and maybe talk about. But we got tons of topics, because as we knew, the driver market was going to be potentially crazy, and we've got a lot of talking points to talk, but we'll start off. First and foremost, with Jerome D'Ambrosio, Ed. Now, I think this one shocked everybody. We've all thought maybe Jerome might be stepping away from Formula E. He could race in other series. But like how Venturi uh, said with Felipe Massa on that final day that he'd retired, um, Jerome D'Ambrosio also, after Berlin, decided to retire. But obviously, he must have. Felipe Massa's made that decision beforehand. Whereas Jerome D'Ambrosio's probably had a few days of a week or two to think about it and then decided, you know what? I am retiring from um, Formula E. And that may be, you know, or there was rumours of that and that helped that Alexander Sims seat. Maybe it would have been Alexander Sims and Jerome D'Ambrosio, but Jerome D'Ambrosio decided to walk away. So before we go on to what Jerome D'Ambrosio has decided to do next, what do you make of his retirement call? Do you think he's only, he's only 34 years of age? Do you think, you know, he could have done a job somewhere else um, in the Formula E grid? I think in terms of continuing as a driver, Jerome had a kind of an image problem that he was always seen as a bit of a dark horse and very rarely, it was only really at the start of season five of Mahindra when he had a really good start to the season where he was seen as sort of a serious championship kind of threat. Otherwise he was always, especially when he was driving for Dragon, there was always that sense that D'Ambrosio might have a few good races, but he was never really going to seriously challenge for the title. And so I think that's a little harsh on Jerome because I think he had a lot of good qualities as a Formula E driver. And whilst it, but whilst it's a shame for his career to end and him not quite get the success that I think he would have hoped to have, he still won quite, um, I think, f three races in the air? Or was it two races? Yeah. Um, and um, uh, to be honest, I, I can see why he's gone for the role of Venturi. I can see why Susie Wolf would want someone who knows the business, who's been a driver for a long time and knows how to manage drivers, managing a bit more on the day-to-day -day side. 
Uh, as in terms of who's going to be the public face of the team, I suspect it might still be Susie, but it'll be interesting to see what role Jerome gets on on that front as well. And uh, it, yeah, I think it could re- it could be a great signing for Venture and help push the team back towards the front after a difficult season. Yeah, so talking about that role that Ed is mentioning there, so he's become the deputy team principal. Now, there was a lot of shock, Ed, about D'Ambrosio becoming the deputy team principal of Venturi. A lot of people thought, oh, I wouldn't have expected, um, you know, D'Ambrosio to go down that route. Now, when I'm thinking about D'Ambrosio, now that I've had time and I've had a day and a bit to sort of, you know, think about that news and let that sink in, I don't think that actually surprises me that D'Ambrosio had decided to hang up his helmet and, and go more into this management and stay into in racing because he's a very, and I think a lot of people, I think very, a lot of people know this, but I think he's underrated in this part. He's a very intelligent man. He is very intelligent and he's, he's very down to earth. He, he understands racing. He understands the politics and, and the things that go around and he sort of knows that. So actually, thinking about it for me personally I think it was a good move for D'Ambrosio um, to go into and I think he'll relish it and I think you know what a team principal a team manager type of role in the future uh, could easily be on D'Ambrosio's path what do you think yeah and maybe perhaps he may not necessarily stay with Venturi forever I think Dilban Gill was saying look you know um, once you once you Jerome will always be part of the Mahindra family because he won a race for us and he was you know a driver who really enjoyed having worked with us. He provided more than just results. He did a lot of stuff you know uh, on the technical side with us. Like you say, he was very intelligent, and uh, I think like you say, Ventura are really going to benefit from that. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how uh, he manages Mortara and Norman Nato, especially Nato in his rookie season as well in season seven. So let's segue. Let's segue. You brought up Dil Baggill there. Let's segue into Mahindra because obviously there's a gap then. So if they've signed Alexander Sims, it could have easily have been Alexander Sims and Jerome D'Ambrosio um, partner, partnering him. Although once once they announced Alexander Sims, if Jerome was going to stay, you'd expect that you know announcement of Jerome to be uh, fairly close behind him, but it wasn't. But now we know why. It's because he has retired. And obviously, if we look at Formula One and Haas... They have dropped both Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean, and it has been reported that Roman Grosjean has spent a lot of time in the Mahindra simulator. So, do you expect that Roman Grosjean will fill that seat at Mahindra, or do you think he's going to actually focus? Because there's also talk of him going to that hypercar project with Peugeot um, in the WEC series. Do you think he could manage both um, of those places or do you think he's just testing out the you know the simulator at Mahindra and then he'll make a decision if he just wants to have a hundred percent commitment on the WEC project which I think you know Grosjean is interested French team you know French driver try and win Le Mans I think that's a I think that's a goal for Grosjean but to do as much testing as he's done in that Mahindra simulator has to point towards some form of strong interest in joining Formula E. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Le Mans. He's done Le Mans before as well, so there's a, a sort of unfinished business there. Uh, I think Sam Smith was pointing this out in a tweet the other day that he said, "Look, Grosjean has still got to finish the season." Uh, well, no, if he was saying, "I don't think any F1 drivers are going to go to Formula E, or current F1 drivers anyway, because the Bahrain uh, Grand Prix they clash with pre-season testing, so uh, there's no way you're just going to rock up to." 
Santiago having done basically no testing as an F1 driver into Formula E and expect to do anywhere near good enough for the team I think you need some sort of preparation and we've already got Nick Cassidy has sort of got a similar problem uh, in Vision Virgin and that he's got Super GT that kind of clashes with preseason uh, I would love to see Grosjean in Formula E I think he's a, I think he's a superb driver who really uh, never quite uh, delivered on what uh, the promise that he showed in junior categories and in some of the early stages in F1 for Lotus when he got a lot of podiums uh, Mahindra would probably be a good team to fit him. If Mahindra really wanted him, they, would they could probably make a big offer, but I think it's just in terms of his schedule, uh, it probably wouldn't work out. And also, like you say, Le Mans, there's the bigger attraction there. For me, I think if Grosjean wants to do this, and, you know, there is, you know, drivers have balanced WEC commitments with Formula E before, so I think, you know, there's there's an aspect. Yes, I think his commitments, obviously, I think there's an F1 race in, in Bahrain, on the weekend of testing so he won't be able to test put it that way so he's not going to do any testing so if he, he would be coming in blind but then i sh- assume it would be a big story and someone would try and find or try and find out if roman grosjean tested did one of the 15 days of testing that you're allowed to do with a manufacturer and if he actually does step foot in a car in mahindra to do one of those days and i think you're really ramping up that grosjean could be in this seat but I think I think he's just testing the waters. He might he might join the season. He might. But you know you still got Alex Lynn, who I think completely deserves an opportunity to drive that car. And it wouldn't surprise me if Alex Lynn is testing that car in November alongside Alexander Sims. And maybe Lynn takes that drive. And maybe Grosjean is that sort of development driver role at Mahindra with maybe a view to come into the series in season eight. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Lynn, because I think he's another problem, a driver a little bit like D'Ambrosio, who has an image problem, because his first full season in Formula E, he obviously he had that brilliant debut in season three, where he filled in at Virgin for Lopez, uh, and got pole first time out in New York, and then his full season in season four with Virgin was just disappointing. Uh, where he didn't he didn't match up well compared to Sam Bird and I think sort of crumbled a little bit under the pressure. But um, he's proven himself to be a really good driver and in his substitute drives for Jaguar and, and subsequently Mahindra. And you just sort of think, what does he have to do to get a full-time drive again? Because these rumours about Grosjean must be giving him a, a little bit of a, a headache. No, I totally agree. I think what Alex Lynn did in Berlin was huge. Um, and merited that seat, getting into the super polls that he did. You know, you couldn't have asked for a better job for someone who's come in and not driven that car. So absolutely agree. So as as I said, I don't. I expect Grosjean maybe to have a role. It might be too early for Grosjean to just jump into a race seat, not really do any testing. You know, go to Santiago, but it has been done before. Um, it has been done before. So he could just go to Santiago and be brilliant. You never know. But yes, it would be incredibly cruel on Alex Lynn. But I suppose, again, there'd be other opportunities for Alex Lynn in Formula E. He's a young, he's still fairly young. I think opportunities will arise. I think he's just got to wait. It's like the political game in Formula One at the moment with like George Russell, who's now apparently going to stay. But, you know, drivers who deserve a seat in a series who are being kicked out for no fault of their own or being pushed aside you know, Nico Hulkenberg, you could argue, like, pushed aside for really no fault of their own. 
Well, it's not such a big factor in Formula E because I think, well, I, I obviously have been for a pandemic. The teams aren't exactly overflowing with cash at the moment, but uh, it's not quite as big a, um, re- let's say, requirement to get a seat to bring money with you uh, as it is for some of the smaller teams in Formula One. But anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to BMW because obviously they, at the same time, at the same time, so I think it was Friday, so on the same time as Venturi announced their breaking news story that Jerome D'Ambrosio was joining them as a deputy team principal, about one minute behind them was BMW. And BMW announcing that Jake Dennis, British driver Jake Dennis, will be driving alongside Maximilian Gunther, which I'm going to be honest with you, that surprised me. That's surprising. I thought it was Philip Engsi all day, and they would pick obviously from that BMW category, um, from that DTM program, and and I thought I really thought Philip Eng would probably be a good, safe, strong bet partner, Maximilian Gunther, also an experienced driver. Yes, would have to learn from Maximilian Gunther. I thought Philip Eng, but you know probably could also help. Maximilian Gunther in sort of maybe the racecraft and maybe analysing things off the track, you know, because Maximilian Gunther's still young, but they went with Jake Dennis. So what are your thoughts about Jake Dennis signing for BMW? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a surprise because a lot of people were expecting Philly Bang, who's uh, driven for BMW and DTM, to be announced. Uh, Jake Dennis, I've always kind of liked Jake Dennis because I think he's he, he was really quick in karting, uh, and also when he initially went to cars he was really quick in some of the junior sort of F4 level series uh, the thing that's always really held about he's from, he's just he's from Nuneaton in Warwickshire he doesn't have a lot of money behind him and so a lot of his early career was backed by the Racing Steps Foundation who also backed Oliver Turvey Oliver Rowland and of course James Collado who recently left Formula of course but they all made it and uh, it's good to see another Racing Steps Foundation driver get in uh, he's also very recently was driving, uh, he, he got on pole for 12 hours of uh, Bathurst uh, in sort of the GT racing and finished on the podium there, so I think that impressed a lot of people. What uh, stood out to me was the quote that I think uh, the head of BMW, I think I think it's Jens Market, said this uh, he said um, that uh, the thing about Jake Dennis was he had the whole package to be quick in Formula E, and I think also him being he's 25 years old, he's still a really young driver, so I think they see a lot of potential in him, similar to how they saw a lot of potential in Gunther, and they stamped him up from Dragon. So I think this could be a really shrewd signing. I really hope Jake Dennis excels, because it's always good to see young drivers get a chance in Formula E, I think. Yeah, because BMW said that they did a lot of track testing, right? And I'm assuming Dennis was obviously a part of that. Philip Eng was probably a part of that. Marco Whitman was probably a part of that. I reckon they had a lot of drivers who were you know, in that pool, in that pool, and for Jake Dennis to, to shine from that, I think that's, it has to bode well for him, and it must bode well for BMW, because, you know, you, you wouldn't pick, you know, Philip Eng was favourite, everyone was talking about Philip Eng, and for Jake Dennis to win the battle against him, BMW must have strong faith in him, and surely, maybe it puts a little bit of early pressure on him, to sort of perform well at the beginning, to sort of justify that seat, because yes, you can perform well in testing, yes, you won the driver um, battle b- between Philip Eng, essentially, and now you've got to go and prove yourself, you've got to go prove yourself against Maximilian Gunther, race winner, super quick, uh, and also, he's not just super quick, he's also got a really good mind, 
Um, it does Maximilian Gunther. He races really well. He knows exactly when he's going to do a move. Very MotoGP style of when he's going to attack and when he's going, basically when he's going to pounce. So I think for Jake Dennis, if Jake Dennis can perform at a similar level as Maximilian Gunther, which is obviously what BMW want, but BMW need, then one, brilliant signing, and two, I think that elevates Jake Dennis. I think that elevates Jake Dennis from a driver that's sort of gone under the radar. No one's really sort of followed his career of sort over the last couple of seasons. And it could elevate him. And it could be the big step for him to then go and move into maybe some top serious level drives in other racing programs. I think the thing that really held Jake Dennis back was that Racing Sets Foundation basically shut doors while he was still at sort of trying to get to F3, F2 sort of level. And so his momentum kind of stalled. He didn't have the money behind him. He was driving for sort of teams that weren't quite as good. And we saw in DTM, he was driving for Aston Martin. He was easily one of the best um, Aston drivers in DTM, but the Aston was not really a great car. And they, of course, have since like pulled out, I think, after just one or two seasons. Yeah, uh, I disagreed that people were talking about Philip Eng, because I think Eng was sort of seen... We all sort of knew whoever BMW were going to pick, they were going to go for someone who maybe wasn't really a massive name. So I was a little bit surprised that some of the people saying, oh, Jake Dennis has been announced. Like, Who's Jake Dennis? Is like, why they picked him? And sort of like they were expecting like um, an F2 or F1 driver, I think. And I think that's a little bit unfair. And uh, But yeah, I agree with everything you said about Jake's, um, you know, as a sort of all these qualities as a driver that I hope come to fruition at BMW Andretti against uh, Gunther, of course, who's no slouch himself. So then the last bit of driver announcements that have come over the past week, which I suppose this one, you know, didn't shock many people, but Rene Rast has been confirmed at Audi. Again, really good, um, really good pace in Berlin. Merited that drive again. Super Bowl appearances, got on the podium in the race as well. You know, didn't get afraid. He learned that, you know, you need to get your elbows out in this series. And then that was a very iconic moment where he got his elbows out. Um, with Andre Lotterer to ensure he got that podium. So I think it's a really good signing for... And he's obviously he's on his way, you know, we'll find out. I think, it's, is it this weekend or, or next weekend um, is the DTM finale and he's got a commanding points lead. So he's on his way for a, a triple DTM champion. So I think a really good signing for, for Audi. And I think that's what Audi need with Lucas Degrassi obviously being super solid. They need a driver. Daniel App was solid. Nothing against Apt. But even Degrassi said himself that, you know, Apt is super quick. He's a super quick driver, but he just lacks one or two temps in, in the race for whatever reason. Um, and hopefully, for Audi's sake, that they found those one or two temps with Rene Rast. Yeah, I was sort of holding a little bit of hope that just uh, enough time had passed for Audi to forgive Daniel App for the whole uh, sim racing controversy of India, but uh, it was never going to happen. Uh, I think you're right, Rainer Ast um, fully deserves the opportunity for a full seat alongside Lucas Degrassi, and I think he could really... Um, we saw he made a few headaches for Lotterer, who's probably not happy to see him back again, but I, I can imagine him really creating a bit of a problem for Degrassi, because throughout his whole career he's... Uh, not had a consistent challenge uh, from Daniel App for in in the standings, and I think we saw in Berlin that towards the end, especially when Ras was starting to get on top of things, that he really uh, put it together. What was I thought was really interesting, Alan McNish said, was that the thing that impressed them was not the drive he got to the podium; it was the one the drive the day after, where he qualified I think third and then eventually finished fourth behind 
at Bohemia and the two Mercedes who are just way quicker that day. And um, and he said that because he was able to replicate that performance, that was what confirmed their decision that, yeah, we want to stay with Rene. So all that's really left now in terms of the driver market, and we'll move on to another thing, uh, the calendar in two seconds. But, so I think all that's left now is the Neo drive alongside Oliver Turvey. Obviously, we had Tom Blomquist testing that car. Daniel Atten will still be in contention for that, I, I would assume, but I, but I would have expected, I think because they did it in Britain, uh, their testing, that's why Tom Blomquist did their test. I don't know if Daniel Lapp's still in the picture. You would, one would assume that he would still be in the picture. We don't know if Marching was, still got a contract. He states that he still has a contract for season seven, um, but whether or not that will be, you know, settled some way because of the coronavirus pandemic, and I don't know about moving, but then you would suppose if Nick Cassidy lives in, you know, New Zealand that, you know, but New Zealand are a free country of coronavirus. So maybe that is like a mute point. Um, but I think that's an interesting story about with marching what and where that goes. And then you've just got the dragon team where you assume Nico Muller, but will Sergei set a camera partner him. And obviously he's now the Alpha Tauri reserve driver. Um, so maybe there is a few question marks on who might partner Nico Muller or will dragon in itself, which will shock me for Nico Muller leaving that drive. Um, have a whole new lineup going into season seven. Yeah, I wouldn't put too much stake in um, reserve drivers because Van Dorn was um, Racing Point's reserve driver and they went for Nico Hulkenberg both times uh, that they had one of their drivers fall ill with uh, COVID-19. So <laughs> I don't think um, I don't think Sergio said a camera is likely to get a call up, but it, it could happen, I guess. Um, uh, as for, I did hear Tom Dillman's name being mentioned uh, in contention for that second uh, Neo 333 seat so it'd be interesting to see if they hold him because we had a feature in our magazine obviously about him that uh, Abby wrote where she was uh, expressed the feeling that Tom Dillman sort of got a bit of a raw deal with Neo in season 5 which I think is fair to say because the car wasn't really competitive at all and hopefully this season is sounding like they've got much more, they know, actually know some of the issues they've been dealing with and they're building their own powertrain again but they've sorted those issues out. Um, I think Oliver. I think it'd be good for Oliver Toby to have a teammate that pushes the team forward. I don't think Martin Carr is that driver. Nicest of all the best wish in the world. I think he's a lovely guy. I think I think Daniel App, Tom Dillman, or uh, even Tom Blomquist, who of course did a fairly solid job in qualifying at least for Jaguar in Berlin. Uh, I think all of them would be uh, ideal options for that second seat. Uh, as for Dragon, I think they'll stay with uh, Nico Muller and Sergio Sede Camera. To be honest. A really good point about Tom Dillman, because you have to remember, he's still the reserve driver, so they did keep him on, right? They did keep him on, he just fell back into that reserve driver. Um, and probably once looking at, as again, marching well, probably again, nicest person, um, just hasn't found the speed. Obviously, he's a great touring car driver, you can't take away from him that he's a great touring car driver. Uh, a bit like Neil Yarny, like Neil Yarny didn't have the pace in Porsche, and he's a fabulous Fabulous WEC driver with many championships under his belt. And marching well, again, he's, he's a race winner in the World Touring Car Championships. He's just, Formula E just didn't, didn't really, you know, he didn't really click with Formula E. And I think Tom Dillman is a driver. If I was a, if I was at Neo right now, and I've got Daniel Abt, I've got, it's a tough choice, to be honest with you, at Neo. It's tough, because you've got Daniel Abt, race winner in Formula E. Can't forget that. Pole position holder, can't forget that. But you've got Tom Dillman, who every time he got into a Formula E car, apart from that season in season five with Neo, but again, 
you couldn't do much to excite. The only exciting thing Turvey did was getting into Super Bowl in Santiago, and everyone was like, wow. Um, but you couldn't really do, apart from that, Turvey didn't really do much that season either. Well, he did finish uh, in the, technically in the points on the road in the first race, but then he got disqualified because of reasons beyond his control. But you're right, Jack. Yeah. And uh, so, but when Tom Dillman got in the car, and Venturi, for example, every time he got in that car, he excited. You know, he lit up the world. Everyone was like, oh, Tom Dillman, what a guy. Like, he is exceptionally quick. And when you want to pick between Tom Dillman and Daniel App, now thinking about the argument, even me right now is is leaning towards Tom Dillman over Daniel App. Um, but it's, it's an interesting call and that's a job for Christian Silk to make the team principal of Neo um, to call but I think that that is an extremely tough decision but I want to move on because we're coming towards the end of the show now and we've talked tons about drivers because that's what's been the news lately of Formula E but there was one other big news which I think raises a lot of concern um, amongst Formula E is that they have cancelled, well not cancelled, they postponed Mexico and they've postponed Sanya um, and pushed them back because of the coronavirus pandemic and they've obviously we've got two events technically so I think it's the six events that we need but we've got two events with four races now with Santiago becoming a double header in January so there'll be a race on the Saturday and the Sunday and Diria in February is also a double header so we've got four races but obviously two events um, but how concerning is it that, you know, Germany's gone into a national lockdown, France has gone into a national lockdown. Yes, we're still in 2020, we're not in 2021 yet, but, you know, the UK looks set to go into a national lockdown. You know, come May, springtime, when we should be heading to Europe, when we should be heading to Rome, when we should be heading to Paris in May, and then London again in June, in the summer. Is it concerning that these countries still haven't got on top of coronavirus? And when do you think, you know, formally we've got to make a decision where, well, we're not going to race here. We need to look at some open circuits, some traditional racing circuits and finish our season for the first time using actual racing circuits. I think they need to be flexible. And it's something that Formula E have always done. We, obviously, with the COVID, it's impossible to say how well or how badly things are going to go in terms of dealing with COVID-19 over the winter and through spring in 2021. So I think I think committing to those, to Santiago, I think Santiago and Diria are probably the two important ones to commit to because Santiago will have paid a lot to be uh, the you know first world FIA World Championship Formula E race and then Diria have paid a lot because they that's what they, they're on a 10 year contract, I guess. Uh, and so those are the two important ones, whereas Mexico and Sanya have decided, well, it's better if we delay. I think Diria were talking about um, having, uh, earlier at least, they were talking about having fans visit um, on site, which I, I kind of hope they don't do, especially given the, how the way things are going at the moment. Uh, so in terms of using real, um, not real, tra traditional tracks, because they're all real, because they exist in the real world, <laughs> but... Um, going away from street circuits to finish the season it's a sort of thing of I think it's very easy to go oh let's just go to Silverstone but the problem is you've got to sort of put chicanes down the hangar straight and there's the, it, it's, it, it would definitely be a compromise I think it's probably something the Formula has been quite hesitant to do in the past when they've basically when they were going through their options like uh, uh, for 2020 uh, when we had uh, the, when they ended up going for the six races in Berlin which I don't think they're too keen on doing again 
if they can avoid it. So I, I, I think I think it's a case of they have to adapt to the situation. If that means traditional circuits um, and that need modifications, of course, then uh, so be it. Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult because you can't just turn up, for example, to Paris, right? Who let's say still in a lockdown or coming out of a lockdown or still have high cases, and you got you know you can't go to the shops, but you can stage a Formula E race and prepare a Formula E race. I just don't personally. I'm not sure if that sends the right message that you're going into city centres, whereas you know people like uh, Formula One and, and WEC, MotoGP, they've all you know proven that we can still go racing on circuits and do have really good coronavirus testing programs and, you know, do their races. But obviously, Formula E would have to modify those tracks. They'd have to, you know, organise it. Um, you know, it's another season where Formula E potentially don't make any money because you wouldn't be charging Silverstone. You wouldn't be charging Portimao. You wouldn't be charging Estoril. You wouldn't be charging Valencia to host a race. You're like, can you help us out by hosting a race? And, you know that ticket sales, the hosting fees that Formula E would get from, from staging these races, they don't get, and obviously they missed out last season as well from, you know, places like Korea and so forth. So it's 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 a catch twenty two for Formula E because it is gonna put them could put them in some financial mishaps. Um obviously they've got good deals and they've got good sponsorship brands, but that can only go so far. It's so important to have, you know, that money coming in from the racetracks um, as well. Well, Formula E hasn't been afraid to operate at a loss if it year before when they say, "Oh, we'll invest in the locations that we want." So I, I, f- I think they'll find a way to cope. Um, in terms of the message that it sends, I agree that Formula e needs to be careful that we don't want to have kind of Formula e bubble where everyone's having a, ma- a massively fun, good time, and then just just over in the houses opposite literally you've got people dying of a virus i think that would be look really bad so formula needs to be really careful of the optics on that front i would be very surprised by the way if we have the london e in 2021 because I, at this point i just can't see it happening i'm very pessimistic about that unfortunately well it's sad to leave on a somber note i would say but let's leave on a happy note in terms of formula e is coming back you know, it's round the corner, you know, it's the end, it's the, it's the 31st of October, I think, when we're recording this, and so tomorrow is November, so we, by the time this goes out, it will be November, Formula E, we will be seeing Formula E cars race around the track, whether or not you won't be able to see it because it's pre-season testing, but here at Formula E Zone, we can give you all the best coverage of pre-season testing to keep you well in the loop of what is happening, so Formula E is back, and on that note, um, I just want to say thank you so much for watching, Ed. Thank you so much for being here. And thanks so much for contributing as well. No problem. <laughs> thanks, Jay. Um, and please remember that if you're really enjoying the content, to hit that subscribe and that like button on YouTube and the subscribe button as well, or follow button, whatever it is on any of the podcast apps that you can see these um, see these podcasts and, and shows on. 
Um, also, the Discord channel. If you have not joined our Discord channel, it's got like over 50, nearly 60 people in there now. Lots of people talking Formula E. Come and join the Discord channel. Um, it's an amazing place to be. We're also on Twitch. The, all the links to that will be in the description below. You can come and check some of our Twitch content. Um, again, the community is growing on there, um, which is absolutely brilliant to see. Um, but thank you so much for watching. We will see you very soon. Goodbye.